Now from Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night. Swan, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling rather good. I definitely got up on the right side of the bed. I'm feeling strong. I'm feeling focused. I'm feeling powerful. How about you? Uh, exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) This is a great place to start. Well, you know me, I'm also good for a a serious mood swing. So uh, we've been working a ton. I feel good now, but who knows, by the end of this podcast, we'll see. Yes. So, uh, you know, one of the reasons I am exhausted is because we have, are working on a project in the background that we discussed on the last podcast, which is something I'd like to talk about at the beginning of this podcast. Cause as some of you know, in the last episode, we talked about a production that we're working on that has to do with the Blade Brothers Dragula. Now, normally, people are digging for all sorts of information on anything we're working towards in regards to the Belay Brothers Dragula. So they're looking, what's season four? Where's this? Where's that? There's always, we're always getting bombarded with messages. Then we come on a podcast that thousands of people listen to (laughs) and say it in plain English, what's happening, only to be met with crickets. (laughs) (laughs) Completely ignored. I don't understand it. Can you explain that to me? I don't think I can. I mean, clearly they want to work for every inch they get. We're throwing out T-bone steaks and they're trying to track a little crumb of info. And yeah, you threw it out there. We dropped kind of a bomb that we have like big projects in the works and things will be out even as early as Halloween of this year and, and no one responds. So it's kind of, I guess this is our second attempt to toss it out there again to see if we get any bites. We get so much feedback on the show and things that we talk about on Creatures of the Night. Every episode, we get tons of emails like with questions and follow-up questions about things we talked about. And that, of all things, nothing. So I'm just like, I think what I'm going to do for season four, once we decide the cast, I'm just going to tell the whole cast on our episode. <laughs> you're, you're, and, you are not. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the best way to hide. It's hide in plain sight. You know? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that people did write in and ask about, if you remember on the last episode, we discussed your encounter with a palmetto. Oh, God. <laughs> so, and I said if people wanted to hear the story to write in and let us know. And lots of people wrote in and asked to hear your palmetto story. So why don't you grab the mic and let them know? Okay. I'll I'll keep it brief and you can paint the picture with my words, hopefully. So this was years ago. One of our first times taking a vacation in beautiful and luxurious Palm Springs which happens to be centered in the middle of the Palm Desert. It's very hot, and it was my education in what a palmetto bug is. And for those of you that don't know, they're related to gigantic cockroaches or water bugs, air quotes, you know. They're basically like two or three inch roaches with wings. Um, And I had no idea what I was getting into. So we had our fabulous little cabana. Everyone had their own. I had my own. Drac had her own. Other friends were there. 
um, feeling very fabulous. So I'd go in and Palm Springs has these fully tiled rooms and sometimes the tiles will go right into the living space, right into the bathroom. And this cabana was just like that. So I was in the bathroom about to shower um, naked, which is, of course just adds to the vulnerability. Um, and so vulnerable. <laughs> like, ah. So, That's what I think of you, damsel in distress. <laughs> I know. I know. And I think so many do. But so you, soft. You also know that I will spot anything. Like if there's something out of place or if there, you know, if a, a bird chirps in a, in a crowded wood, I will turn and just spot that bird. And yeah. you know I'm kind of good you for have, that. You are eagle-eyed. It is true. <laughs> So I walked into the bathroom and everything is brown tiles and I just kind of spotted this little movement and there it was, this gigantic flying roach. Now I didn't know it I didn't know it was capable of flying at the time, but I quickly learned because I freaked out, but I was like, okay, I can't I, so I, I ripped the shower curtain down off the wall because I didn't want to let it go out of my sight because you know how a roach can be. And there it is kind of crawling across the tile and the only thing the, the whole room is tiled so I was like it can't go anywhere I close the door and you know it wasn't the biggest bathroom so it starts to crawl across the wall and the only thing blocking my vision was the bar that the shower curtain was hanging or had been hanging on and you know it's like a two inch bar or whatever so I could pretty much see the whole wall it crawled up the wall quickly basically went out of my vision for a second where it kind of hid behind that pole in my line of sight and I craned my neck and it didn't come out the other side like it had crawled up the wall but it never came out above my line I didn't know there were six chapters to this oh but let me tell you so it completely disappeared. I craned my neck. I went under the bar. It was gone. I had no idea where it was. I, I looked to the left. I looked to the right. I looked to the left again, and I'm actually looking in the mirror, and it's on my neck, and it <laughs> flew away from my face, and that's when I screamed, and that's when I freaked the fuck out. <laughs> and that is your Palmetto story. Oh. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of uh, of John Waters' Hairspray for some reason. And there is another roach story, oh. which is when we used to, <laughs> to do these nightlife events in Hollywood. There was a, a ancient club that we used to perform at all the time. And we had storage closets there for costumes and sets. And it was like a huge space. It was like a, a big warehouse full of all our stuff because we did uh, things every Friday night. Uh, you know, performances and things in the club. So... We went, we were like trying to get our costumes together for the next show, and we were in the dressing room, and you had put on one of these wigs. And when you took the wig off, what would be there? <laughs> but a roach in your hair, just like Tracy fucking Turnblad. God damn it, I hate this. I hate this podcast. Anyways, that's the famous Palmetto story with a little extra backup. For those thank, interested. Thank you for the encore story. And on that note, I think it's time to open up the gates of hell and switch gears hard and <laughs> welcome our partner in crime, Ian DeVogler. Ian, welcome back. Hey, ladies. How's it going? Pretty it's good. good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear what all this is about. <laughs> oh, how are you doing this week? Uh, I'm doing really well. Uh, similarly, I am exhausted. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot happening uh, in our world outside of the podcast and on the podcast. So exhausted, tired, uh, not sleeping. What else is new? 
Mm, yeah. yeah. The House of Boulay has many cauldrons bubbling on the fire, doesn't it, right now? Absolutely. <laughs> well, I think it's exciting, and everyone's going to be very happy to hear about it later, I think. Same. I definitely agree with that. So I'm really excited because this episode, as you guys know, we have a really fun interview. Poppy's going to be joining us. So amazing. So excited. Yeah. And I know, Ian, that's when she's one of your personal favorites. I have been, uh, I've just been trying not to fangirl ever since you guys (laughs) told me that Poppy was going to be on the podcast. I was like, oh, yeah, Poppy. Oh, she's cool. And inside, I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait to listen. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I mean, I can't wait to hear what you guys talk about. Like, I, I love her. Yeah, we have so much in common with her. It's like, it's bizarre. Like, there's a there's a few things in her personal life and her career that really resonate with us, too. So I feel like we're kindred spirits, for sure. Absolutely. Totally. All we need is to have you guys uh, do something with the WWE with her as well. And hey, all the worlds will collide. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, which was interesting. You know, we spoke about that on the last podcast, uh, wrestling, and people were writing in and talking about us all talking about wrestling. So that was interesting. <laughs> so talk to us about what's going on in like Hollywood horror and entertainment this episode. So first up, I have some quick updates, new releases, and some unfortunate delays from the world of on-screen horror. A Quiet Place 2 and Antlers have both been delayed until 2021, with Paramount Pictures pushing for traditional theatrical releases. Uh, Paramount is apparently not confident that things will return to normal until after the new year and doesn't want to risk a low-performing theatrical release. Um, On the other side, 20th Century is going to roll the dice in hopes of a successful theatrical release with The New Mutants getting another release date. No, Uh, did they push it back again? This time it's scheduled for August 28th in theaters. I am not holding my breath, but we'll see, I guess. Wait, are we talking about of this year? Yes, uh, as in like three weeks from when we record this episode, yeah. <laughs> uh, <okay>. They're toying <laughs> with us. <laughs> like, all right, Sherry, sure. Um, but uh, as for streaming and video on demand releases, uh, Train to Busan Peninsula, the sequel to Train to Busan that we discussed last episode, is being pushed back to August 21st. Uh, last episode, I reported that we would get to experience the carnage on August 7th, but unfortunately, pandemic life is far from fair and life sucks. Mm. And they want to make liars out of you again. Uh, always. Uh, finally, though, uh, Antebellum, an upcoming horror film starring Janelle Monet and produced by Jordan Peele, was pulled from Lionsgate's release schedule indefinitely earlier this week. But new reports are coming out that the film is going to release digitally on September 18th on streaming platforms. Hmm. You know, I have to say some movies really just are not the same at home. Even if you have a good home theater, it's just not the same experience. And as we've all discussed, drive-in movies also are not the same. Yeah, I mean, I I told you guys uh, outside of the podcast about my uh, drive-in theater experience, and who knows, maybe the medium will grow, maybe we'll get brighter screens and I can actually enjoy a horror movie on a drive-in theater screen, but until then, eh, we'll see. Look, I think there's a lot of aspects to that. Of course, it's the th- it's the theater experience itself, and it's the darkness, and it's actually the act of going to the theater. But Drac, I want you to be honest, and I want everyone to know. This is really about the quality of the popcorn for you. I know. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Here's the thing. I love the idea of going to a drive-in movie, especially a horror movie. It's like perfect setting, you know? But it's not the perfect setting because you can't see it. Maybe if you saw something brighter or, I don't know, a Disney movie or something, if you were into that, then, um, you know, it would be bright enough for you to see it. But otherwise, I don't think so. 
I'll just tell my story of when I went to the drive-in theater because I didn't get any popcorn, but I did get a full thing of Chinese food. Uh, Where? <laughs> so, okay, so my boyfriend and I, we went and got Chinese food. And we're like, okay, we're just going to be fat and we're going to sit in our car and we're going to watch this movie. And so I had my like thing of like, you know, combination fried rice, P9, on the dashboard. And then we were like, you know what? Fuck this. We're leaving. Like, it's just not the experience we wanted. So I pull my car into reverse and all of the fried rice just pours all over us. I was like, this is my punishment for trying to leave the movie and for trying to eat Chinese food at a movie. Wow. Was, which, the- which theater did you go to? Uh, we went to, I think it was called Mission Tiki. Um, hmm. It's uh, almost near like Covina. Um, the theater experience, I mean, the experience itself was great and they did refund us the ticket. The problem for me was the movie that we saw was called She Dies Tomorrow and it's just visually very, very dark. So halfway through, I turned to him and I was like, what's happening? Where are we? And neither one of us could say, so we had to leave. Well, we have a similar story, which I, I don't Did we talk about it on the podcast? We went to see... Uh a drive-in movie with Darren Stein, actually one of our friends. And uh, he's been on the podcast before you guys know, he's the director of Jawbreaker and he, (laughs) (laughs) he couldn't figure out how to turn his parking lights off of his car. So in order to hear the movie, he had to have his car kind of on, which means (laughs) we were in the front row. He was obscuring the view with his parking lights. For everyone in the theater. (laughs) So they would come and yell at him. And so he he ended up just sitting. You couldn't see it because it was so dark. He couldn't hear it because his radio wasn't on. So he just sat in his car in silence. Oh, and poor Darren. I mean, I can just imagine, like, Darren is so sweet. I'm sure he was just like, oh, okay. I don't know what to do. Sure. It's true. It's true. It is. Uh, he true. did leave halfway through, but whatever. <laughs> Oh my god! Well, he left and didn't have Chinese all over himself. So. No, he no, did he not. Well, what other? I'm sorry, I got us way off subject. <laughs> what else is in the news? You're totally fine. I have I have two more updates, and I'll I'll try to go through them. Uh, this one is an update uh, from the current worst timeline ever reality that we're living in. Unfortunately, uh, two of the biggest haunt events in the United States are officially canceled this year. Uh, Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights and Not Scary Farm have both announced that they will not be opening for guests this year making Halloween just a little darker for those of us who are looking forward to it. Yeah, this is the first time in 30 years that Universal has shuttered their doors for the Halloween season, and it's pretty historic. I mean, we live in crazy times. Well, I knew it was going to happen in Knott's because when they didn't offer us uh, Elvira's hosting spot, Mm. I assumed the curse of Dragula would destroy it, but I didn't think Universal would be taken out as well. I was surprised about that. We didn't think there would be like a rippling effect worldwide, but I guess, you know what, that's just a testament to our power. It happens. But you know, well, the Queen Mary, the haunt that we do host uh, in Long Beach is also not happening, of course, which I actually thought maybe they would be able to pull it off because they do guided tours and then they also, a lot of it's outside, but Mm. alas, that is canceled too. Uh, Well, I don't know. Maybe that means that Halloween 2021 will be doubly exciting um or i'll just keep thinking that way to avoid having the worst halloween ever well we're not going to talk about halloween yet because of course we're not going to disappoint everyone um if anyone's going to save halloween it's going to be the blade brothers so (laughs) everyone should just sit tight and get ready (laughs) absolutely um all right, well, uh, finally, I have some news that is not necessarily horror, uh, but it lives directly at the intersection of uh, kind of queer culture and science, so I thought it'd be interesting to talk about. Are you pregnant? Uh, I am. Oh, my God. Thank you. I knew it. Uh, girl, Congratulations. I- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a drive-in movie was <laughs> 
I was like, oh, I can't. It's, this is prom night. Why are we even here? <laughs> and here I am, 80s damsel. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, bear with me for the beginning of this one. Master beekeeper Joseph Zerzinski has recently discovered a brand new and extremely rare mutation of honeybees that are marked with striking milky yellow eyes and have markers of both male and female honeybees. Work. Yeah, uh, so this phenomenon in zoology is referred to as, uh, forgive me if I butcher this, it's genandromorphy. And although that is not necessarily uncommon in many species, researchers have noted that this genandromorphy and also displaying this yellow-eyed mutation is like, quote-unquote, catching lightning in a bottle. Apparently it's so rare, the chances of this ever happening are like one in a million, and we're just living in kind of exceptional times. I think I've read about this too. This strain is called the henny bee. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, Ian, this is not one of your classic, you know, cryptozoology Uh reports because I don't hear anyone dying. Nothing's. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, you're right. I mean, I figured this would be maybe a lighter way to do it, but apparently the giant murder hornets that we talked about, I think on episode one or two, are not only making a comeback, but have gotten even deadlier. Um, The death counts are rising, and I don't know if this is due to them mutating to be more powerful, or if maybe we turned a blind eye to them and they were like, fuck you, I'm gonna get you. Um, (laughs) Exactly. They didn't get enough attention. They were like, no. Like so many bitches I know around this town. (laughs) So these bees don't kill anybody or anything like that? I don't think that these honeybees kill anyone. Uh, they probably look fabulous, uh, but that's about it. Wow. This is Sorry. a horror podcast, Ian. <laughs> you tried it. <laughs> Delete. All right. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will be joined by our special guest and favorite cyanide sweet cyber witch, Poppy. Arda Wiggs has been serving looks in the drag and costume community since 2009. Their reputation in the wig world is well known for providing luscious, thick, snatchingly good styles that turn heads and ensure you are serving the most devilish of looks. With over 100 colors and 80 styles to choose from, they're sure to have something to make you scream. Use the code ARDABOULE10 for 10% off at Arda dash wigs.com and treat yourself to something truly hair raising All right, darlings, welcome back to the Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night. It's time we welcome Digital Sensation and our very special guest for this episode, Poppy. Poppy, darling, thank you for being with us. How are you? Hello, thank you for having me. I'm great today. Very excited that you're here with us. We also understand that you have been super busy in the studio, is that right? Absolutely. Can you tell us what you've been working on? Um, yes, so I have my new... Um, deluxe version of I Disagree called I Disagree More that's coming out this month and also my new album I've been working on. How have you uh, adjusted to working in this like pandemic world? How are you handling it? Um, It's not too different from 
my life when I'm working in the studio normally. You know, you're very alone and secluded, so that's okay. But I was planning on touring all of this year. It seems like that won't be happening, so that's unfortunate. Yeah, is it affecting you creatively at all? And if so, how? Um, I don't think so. I'd just say more mentally. You know, right now I'm great, but if you ask me in an hour, I might be crying. Very relatable. <laughs> totally relatable. I mean, honestly, all of that too, because we also abhor um, the company of others and really uh, enjoy our isolation. And we also had lots of plans to do touring this year too, and all of that's been scrapped. So now it's just been this challenge almost on a daily to maintain like sanity and, and inspiration and try to be, you know, excited about doing things and not suffer from, you know, eternal existential dread like every other hour. <laughs> yeah, I think my cats at home are just very confused. Like, why are you still here? And why are you here all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I think cats need a break from humans. <laughs> So your latest album, I Disagree, is an evolution of the sound we heard on Am I a Girl with songs like X and Play Destroy. Um, But have you always been interested in a heavier sound? And if so, why release this type of music now? Um, Well, it's been a long journey, I would say. But to answer the first question, yes, I have always listened to um, music leaning more on the heavier side and what I was exposed to from a young age with my siblings. Uh, they showed me some of my first favorite bands. Um, but why now? You know, I did pop music for a number of years, and I was signed to a couple of different record labels early on in my career, and that served its purpose. But it wasn't until more recently when I took back control of myself and my project and I was able to really do exactly everything I wanted to do and it all seems to uh, synchronize quite nicely. Interesting. So did you find it restrictive the the previous companies that you were working with? Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, tale as old as time. I, I think artists that get signed to record labels always have to work with some restrictions, but mm-hmm. the very first label that I was signed to um, it was too early, I think, for me to do that kind of a deal. And I just mm-hmm. kind of got passed around to a degree within that system and uh, dealing with a lot of people with a lot of opinions. And um, it was almost like I had a really tiny voice where, you know, they, they make you think that you have more of a say than you do. Um mm-hmm. And I just kind of got stuck in that for a couple of years and then finally got out because I convinced them that I just wanted to make YouTube videos. So they let me go. (laughs) Oh, really? So were were you kind of like doing almost like a sleight of hand? I guess you could say that. Yeah. Tricky. So would you say that the artists we're seeing today is a more authentic version of you? Uh, It's more connected to me at the center, I'd say. yeah. Gotcha. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the themes of I disagree, like uh, not accepting no as an answer, disagreeing with people, positions of power and that sort of thing? Yeah, those are a few of the themes, I'd say. And just really standing your ground and taking back control of something that you lost and not taking no for an answer. 
I want to take a second and applaud your boldness when it comes to that, because a lot of times in, in our experience, it's rare. Uh, you know, fear is often the thing that kind of rules people and it guides their entire life and it, and it steers them away from taking big risks. And I think like doing this sleight of hand and kind of maybe maneuvering out of one contract because you could see a different future where you were making music more that sung like to your soul per se, that's a lot to risk. Um, so where does that kind of uh, bravery come from? Well, I just feel that I let certain people around me for a period of time make decisions for me, but also convince me that they were my ideas, I guess you could say. Um, oh. so, I, so I felt involved, but I, I was not. And I think when you do that for enough time, you know, the fog starts to clear and you start to move these puzzle pieces around and you're like, oh, this is actually how it's supposed to be. And uh, truly, there was a period of time before and during the process making that album where I went to the desert and I just kind of like reflected on some things. And uh, it was almost like gears in a machine that started turning again and I was like oh yeah this isn't the thing that makes me happy anymore I I know what I need to do to be happy and I know what I need to do to get there so I started making those changes I think that's super wise and I, I think and it, and, it, and it isn't really an age thing because I think people can go their entire lives and never learn that lesson that We've all heard and almost to the point of cliche, where if you pursue the thing that makes you happy, then your daily life is happy and your work is happy and your art is reflected with happiness. And that kind of breeds success because it's not about money. It's about your life and how you're spending it. Yeah. And there was this um, additional thing that I kind of had to get over as well, where I thought that I could only make good stuff when I was suffering. (laughs) Well, that's actually true. Now I'm like, get it. So I had to get over that. Too. <laughs> so you went to the desert. Like, tell us a little bit more about that because the desert can be very transformative for a lot of people. And then other people are like, what am I doing here? You know? Yeah, I guess I'm a spiritual person. Uh, I've never really identified with that term, mm-hmm. but there's something out there, especially like around Joshua Tree. You can just feel this energy this like energy field um and it's spooky in a way but also beautiful and the people that live in the desert are very unique and i hope maybe one day i could have a house out there <laughs> we have so much in common that's yes, one we of do. our favorite places and <laughs> we as well we've been thinking about uh, having a, a place out there for a long time. So maybe we'll be neighbors one day. Who knows? <laughs> Do you feel that like when you're driving out in, I don't know, on that long stretch of road, you're like, you know, maybe today I could throw everything away <laughs> and just oh, here. <laughs> so many times. I mean, literally it's very tempting and it's, it's, I think it's the absence of noise too. I think, you know, we, we both work in this industry that is, very noise heavy, lots of influence, lots of uh, all the time incoming emails and communications. And, you know, when you go somewhere like that, it's like you get to be with yourself in a way that you can't be here at home, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very tempting to say, I don't want to come back to that. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was going to say, track, every time we go to a Joshua Tree, Jack wants to throw everyone out the window. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to because there's no one around. <laughs> there's something about the heat, too. It just sears you, like, in a good way. I, I feel like it almost sears me into, like, this relaxed, meditative state where I, I don't give myself that when I'm you know, trying to rule my world in Los Angeles. Like it just can't happen. But once you're there, it's like quiet and it's hot and it's open and it's the, the sky is so gorgeous too. There's definitely something healing about it. There does feel like a, an energy there for sure. So let's talk a little bit about your fan base because your, your fan base is pretty diverse. Like you do have a lot of, you know, alternative queer people that are fans and you also have, you know, metal fans too, which are like typically... Uh, traditionally more heterosexual. So what do you think is it about your art that appeals to such a broad spectrum of people? Um, I think the fans can now feel the the freedom that I have in myself. And I think that comes across in the music. Um, mm-hmm. But even on the last record, Am I a Girl, I went through and I was for a period of time like, questioning gender and identity and exploring like what that means and what that means to me, what that means to somebody else. And um, it was a really interesting thing to touch on. And I feel like the song, Am I a Girl, really resonated with a lot of people. Hmm. Have you sort of come to a conclusion on how you feel about your identity or is it evolving? Uh, it's evolving. I don't choose to identify as one in particular. Mm, that's understandable. So with metal being typically more of a male-dominated heterosexual space, like, do you find yourself to be an outsider in that scene, or do you feel accepted? Um, surprisingly accepted. I think, again, it's just me being free within myself, and I think that comes across in the music. I definitely look out there and I see that it is heavily male dominated, but mm-hmm. I'd just like to offer a different flavor of the pie. Well, it's kind of punk just to be visible in that way. You know, you're kind of defiant and merging these genres that aren't often seen as like going together or like, you know, sisters in any kind of way. So just to say, fuck it and kind of like rage in that direction, people see that and they see it like a flame. It's like they're drawn to it, whether that's, you know, thrasher heteros or like weird weirdo queerdos like out in Joshua Tree or whatever. I, I can see the attraction from from the full spectrum. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, the artists that have inspired me the most um, in my career and in my life are the ones that just go for it. You know, you don't really look around and be like, mm, should I go there? It's like, just do it and think about that later. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> A mantra we live by. Yeah, exactly. Are there any artists that really stick out to you that you feel like were huge inspirations to you? You don't have to say us. Let me just put that out there. <laughs> you guys. Um, I also really love Karen O, Yaya Yaz, and Blondie, Gwen Stefani, of course. Um, and there are more um, musical artists, but as far as front people go, I'd say Karen, Debbie Harry, and Gwen. You have excellent taste in music. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, your music and visuals are often dripping with horror influences. And, you know, I'm curious, what is it about 
the horror genre that inspires you or that makes you feel attracted to that? Um, well, I love watching films that put me on the edge of my seat, you know, that make me want to look away and make me disgusted. Um, and I hope to do that for other people, but I still get scared <laughs> with movies too. But I love that feeling. And my parents also, um, they ran a haunted house when I was growing up and really uh, interesting. Yeah, it was really fun to see like everything behind the scenes and then still be scared when I would go through it. Was it like a year long, like a, a career kind of haunted house? Um, well, it, they would do it every year, but it was for like the entire month of October. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. So cool. You know, cause that, that kind of leads to, I guess one of the things that I adore when I watch videos and some of the content you put out, you often have these themes that I personally really gravitate toward, like this commentary about like religious hypocrisy. And there's always like tons of like pagan imagery. So to find out that, you know, your parents <laughs> brought you up with, around a haunted house yearly to just kind of inject you with some of that spook is it, it, it all makes sense. One thing I wanted to ask you about was your your live shows because there's uh, uh, one of our producers went to your live show in February and he said that the energy was just insane and there was tons of visibly queer people and women in one of the most intense mosh pits he had ever seen. <laughs> so I was curious if you intend if you ever intended your music or your live shows to be a space for mosh pits or that kind of energy. Um, I just want people to do what they feel so inclined to do. You know, if I can play music that evokes that kind of response, I, I do like it. (laughs) Same. (laughs) No, that's gotta be electric. That's gotta be such an amazing experience from your perspective, just to kind of be, to be the shaman in that ritual. You know, if those, if the crowd is going insane that way. Yeah. It's really beautiful to see. And also the, kids and adults that are just so excited to be a part of it and uh, it makes me miss it so bad talking about it because it feels like so long ago now because we've been Mm -hmm. in lockdown but yeah it's wonderful how was your last show it was at the fonda in la it was one of the best shows on the tour if somebody told me though that that was going to be my last show I wonder if I would have done like anything crazy different. I probably would have. Just, yeah. You probably would have pushed it a little bit more, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, dang, I really wish somebody would have told me that, but it's okay. We've got next year, hopefully. Yes. Hopefully. The Fonda is such a great theater. It's kind of magical too. It, it's, it, the, it's history is incredible and the dressing rooms and everything feels so old Hollywood. So I'd say that's a good last show for a couple of months if yeah. you had to, if you had to do one. Uh, I know you've said in the past that you've kept your identity guarded for a number of reasons um, and that you don't really want to talk about things like how old you are. You want people to talk about what you're making. Do you find that fans are respectful of that or do you feel like it's still difficult to guard your privacy? As far as the age and that stuff goes, I mean, that's less important to me now. And I think it's uh, what I learned is it kind of detracts from the message even saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know if I would say it's a complete challenge. I just want people to focus on the music and the art and yeah, 
hopefully that's good for them. <laughs> well, there was a mystique that you were that you were able to kind of uh, cultivate, which we absolutely respect. I mean, because I, I love the fact that you are able to control to a great degree um, what people were able to basically find out or dig up about you on the internet. Because we, we share some of that DNA too, and it just makes them go insane. And I enjoy that. And I enjoyed <laughs> watching your fans squirm too. It definitely served its purpose. And I, I think it was a lot of fun um, while it was happening. Uh, just for, you know, chapter one, first album, YouTube and poppy.computer stuff. Um, but I definitely started to realize people would go to the ends of the earth to find out certain things. And then I realized, I'm like, okay, that's not what we want. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I get it. It's, you want to, you want viewers to see that what you the art that you've created and that includes your image and your music and everything and it almost sort of spoils it when they i always i I think of that with drag too i'm always like i don't want to see what people look like out of drag i'm like i want to buy your character hook line and seeker like you have your private life yeah i want to see your art and i want to see what you put out on stage and to me that's an old school mentality because i just feel like i'm like that's you're showing me a character and i enjoy that and i don't want to take away from that you know yeah, one thing that I saw as well, it was in the news a while ago, you know Angeline? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So there was a in-depth article that was written about her, and that really gave me a glimpse at like, oh, a lot of people just want what they want, and they're willing to kill the mystique. They don't want what you're giving them. That's not enough. They want to have everything so they can chew it, spit it out, and then move on. And yeah. I still like thinking i'm not clueless of course but i still like you know everything that surrounds the easter bunny and santa claus and Mm -hmm. when i see a little kid i'm not gonna say uh yes santa doesn't exist and you're dumb i'm gonna just say santa is the best and i can't wait to get presents this year (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's because you you invite magic to continue to live in the world. Like not everybody is like that. Yeah, it should be enough for them. You know, we fight our own demons in our careers and day to day. And uh, someone wise said that to us pretty recently, and it was really insightful too because we were you know deal- dealing with this issue at hand, and they were like, "Well, you know, you guys have given a lot, but it will actually never be enough. Like, mm-hmm. just understand that it's never enough." Yeah. And that really kind of struck and you're kind of repeating that. So I think it's worth just underlining. Yeah. And, you know, I wake up every day and I get to do what I want and make my art. And I am so fortunate. And that's what it's about. You know, it's not trying to delete like old videos of me when I was 12 and I was singing into a microphone or something. It's like because people online think that's the real me. It's like, yeah, everybody has a past. And if you don't, then you probably aren't human. I don't know. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, I think it's part two as, as an artist to uh, learn how to absorb that and, and own it all. And, you know, that's difficult to do sometimes when you want to present uh, uh, the entirety of a project and say, this is what I want you to see. You know, it's, it's like theater. It's like, who, why do you want people to see behind the curtain and see people pulling strings and, light machines and fog machines and stuff. Just look at the experience. But magicians don't talk about their tricks, you know? (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so you are working on a graphic novel and a companion album that are coming out later this year. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about those projects? Yeah, so the graphic novel, we just finished it. And um, it was delayed a little bit because of the world issues that we're facing here. Um, but it is coming out. And I'm so excited about it. We worked with two new artists to collaborate on the project to illustrate. And it tells the story of Poppy in the next stage, in the I Disagree stage. And the companion album that you can read along um, and listen to is called Music to Scream 2. And it is a noise album. Nice. So it goes with the it goes with the graphic novel. I love that idea. It's so fun, interactive. Yeah, I had um, I see you music to read to that went along with my previous graphic novel, and yeah, this one's called Music to Scream Two. Excellent. Thank you for joining us. I mean, I can't wait for your fans and ours to see what we're working on together in the background, but we can talk more about that later. <laughs> yeah, I cannot wait. I'm so excited. We're excited too. It's going to be so much fun. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us and good luck on your new projects. Thank you. Talk to you guys soon. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. All right. We're going to take another break. And when we come back, we'll be rejoined by our co-host Ian and digging into this episode's Creatures of the Night Creature Feature Movie Review. Attention, misfits, mutants, and outcasts. The Boulay Brothers want you to join the cult now by visiting BoulayBrothersDragula.com, where everything from the world of the Boulay Brothers can be found. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter for insider updates, learn more about upcoming projects, and access tons of Boulay Brothers and Boulay Brothers Dragula exclusive merchandise. Visit us now at BoulayBrothersDragula.com. Do it or die. Welcome back to the Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night Creature Feature Movie Review. For this episode, we will be reviewing the new release from Magnolia Pictures, Amulet. The film was written and directed by Ramala Garai in her directorial debut and is streaming now on digital platforms everywhere. So, Drac, I'm kind of curious uh, how you felt about Amulet. Well, I am going to suggest that we discuss this movie... um... In two sections. One will be spoiler-free. It's before the antagonist dies. And then the second part will be after they die. And it'll be full of spoilers. What do you guys think about that? I love it. Let's do it. I'll start. Um, I kind of love this movie. I, I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. And I'm a sucker for... I guess, movies that do more showing than telling. Um, there were parts that, you know, no one spoke for like multiple minutes and it was just a lot of kind of like disconnected uh, visual imagery. I thought the cinematography was really beautiful. Um, I think that there are some, maybe some narrative issues in it, but overall, and uh, there were some great visual effects to it. I personally love this movie. And you're talking about the entire movie or just the first part? I'm talking about the entire movie, uh, just overall from just kind of my personal feelings. The first part of it, I, 
I was confused as fuck. I was like, what is happening in this movie? There you go. (laughs) Remember, let's try to speak about it in the first half and the second half, because it's two very different movies, don't you think? I totally agree. It's like two very different movies. The first half is very, very confusing. I did read something, and maybe she's just covering her own ass, but I read an interview with the director, and she was saying that her what she she wanted to confuse the audiences. She wanted purposely to create a narrative that in the first part of the film left audiences saying, okay, well, what is this? What are we looking at? Whether that's her saying that after the fact or her like actual intention, who knows? But I personally love that. I think for the first half of the movie, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, I thought the storytelling was more clear in the beginning than the end. I enjoyed the pace of it. I thought the tone was quiet and unsettling and the acting was strong. And, you know, it was another one of those quiet, slow, moody, environmental sort of movies, which I and, you know, I do feel like we're seeing a lot of that. I love those kind of movies, so I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. But I do feel like it's starting to become a little repetitious. Like you and I discussed this while we were watching, because for me, like the first half an hour, I, I really felt like it was very moody. It was haunting. The soundtrack was exceptional. I felt like I was listening to the sounds of like religion and ritual and almost like primal vocalizing like female vocalizing like I, I really got sort of like pulled into what I was hearing mm-hmm. but not so much what I was watching because there was really no story for me it was all like the absorption of a mood and that's what really kind of was pervasive for me probably for the per- first 30 to 40 minutes I think for reasons that you pointed out if she was trying to confuse me she hit it right on the fucking <laughs> you know <laughs> right, right on the button because I was like I get it. It's gorgeous. But like, seriously, what the hell is happening? Um, that changed too delightfully. I, I think by the end, I was like really kind of won over by this movie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm, it, that laborious approach of trying to kind of like disseminate all of these details and basically build the story for yourself. Girl, I'm getting well, tired of doing it, that There's work. more to this movie than meets the eye, right? Because in the beginning, you think it's a certain style movie. And honestly, um, at first, I did have the reaction oh my God, this is another horror granny movie. Like, what's happening? You know, like, why is this, like, keep happening? <laughs> horror granny, horror granny. Why are people scared of grannies? Like, that's like the new thing. They're like, I'm going to scare the audience. I need a granny. And I'm like, I, I'm like, is this something because everyone gets Botox and plastic surgery now? So people don't see old people. And so now they think old people are scary. Cause I'm like, I don't know what's happening, but it, it's very bizarre. <laughs> Okay, I feel you, but I feel like this is something that actually that you guys turned me on to that maybe is worth mentioning is like, I feel like with uh, kind of with Hereditary and with uh, American Horror Story, we're almost seeing this resurgence of like hag horror. Yeah. Um, which, yeah. you know, for those of you who don't know, hag horror was like a subgenre of horror um, that kind of came about in, correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, like the 1960s. Uh, yeah, like, uh-huh. Yeah, in the 1960s, where women were just, you know, positioned as if you weren't the hot young ingenue, then you were the hag. And if you were the hag, then you had to do horror. Um, and it, it went away for a while with the slasher films. And now I feel like we're seeing a lot and not that they're hags, but like Tony Collette in, uh, Hereditary or, um, you know, just all these kind of like fabulous women. But then cut to now we have the real granny horror yeah, <laughs> again. I think of her as, as uh, this is like true. I mean, this is beyond <laughs> hag. This is like full ancient granny, which, and I don't understand what people's perception. These grannies are like flying across the room and choking people out. I'm like, what is happening? I'm like, you, have you ever seen a granny before? Cause that's not, you know. <laughs> 
mean, maybe that's the thing that scares people is they're like, well, my granny just like, you know, she just eats like butterscotch candies all day. And these grannies are like telekinetic psycho grannies. I mean, I got to agree. One of the first notes I wrote was like, spooky grannies are in because that (laughs) repetitive theme. But there was a very palpable mood that amulet was able to create and you know the format from going back and forth it almost told two stories at once i I was kind of pulled in once we once 30 minutes in i kind of got over that hump this movie started to plant some seeds and for a minute i was like wait a minute is this a monster movie Mm. and that was very interesting to me and and i think what it actually succeeded in doing amulet as a whole was it kept me interested it kept it kind of kept the carrot on the string in front of me through several different mysteries i really wasn't sure what i was watching or where the story was going and i think that was the most interesting part about this it was very imaginative um very thought-provoking and it had like these feminist undertones it i felt like it failed to be clear ultimately but i think if i poked around and i read some synopsis and kind of like maybe watched it again i could kind of figure out a little bit more of the intentional meaning from the director but you know it was it was pretty good i I enjoyed it so let's tell listeners if you plan on watching the movie you don't want any spoilers you might want to skip through this part of the podcast because i think we should go into it how do you all feel about that that's fine yes so now speaking of it as a whole what did you think of the overall film i fucking loved it um for me like cosmic horror is one of my favorite subgenres of horror and when it was revealed uh, I'll I'll let you guys speak to kind of the reveal of I guess you know the granny but for me the really big crazy thing was like his mental state starts to decline and he starts to question his grip on reality we're seeing these like monsters being birthed in in real time and then there's the presence of this almost kind of like Aphrodite, Venus-style god creature. I was like, this is fucking so cool. I love this movie. It kind of crossed over there for me, too, and it reminded me, of, what's that other one? Oh, Annihilation. Yeah. Oh, like, for the end of Annihilation, where I was like, wow, this is a revelation. They are seriously going deep. And uh, I-, I think the reveal of that whole goddess creature in the shell and all of that was, was kind of one of those gag to moments. To me, I mm-hmm. felt like when the nun showed up, uh, in a whole new drag outfit. Ooh, yes, honey. Like, oh, okay. We're going full like mother now. Like this movie is about to make no sense. You know that that's that's my interpretation of it. Because from that point forward, it started to really lose me. It did. I mean, I was like, what is happening? Uh, I mean, there was I, just to. I guess we'll, we'll, you know, we've already, we've put our spoiler warning out there. Um, the reveal of the grandmother or the, the granny in the attic actually being a man, mm-hmm. um, and being the man who was being punished for his sins. I was gooped. I was like, I mean, like wig, I mean, bald cap with like little strings of hair fully attached, ripped back. I was like, Oh, <laughs> absolutely! Wait, we're we're watching, and the the the, the little shift kind of shifted up, and I was like, oh, and Jack's like, "What is that?" And I'm like, "That's, that's, a, penis. that's a penis, totally." That's a man. <laughs> um, no, I I, I did. I thought maybe it was another toilet bat. I mean, how would I, you know? How would we know? Um, I will say that, you know, since we're kind of going deep onto the spoilers, I I was unaware of who directed the who wrote and directed it until afterwards. And I I generally I have a problem with horrors kind of reliance on sexual assault as 
kind of a vehicle to get us to like the suffering of a female character or as revenge. But then when I read that it was, you know, directed and written by a woman and that she had talked about her own experiences and that it was more of a, like a vengeful type of film. And she had talked or she speaks at length about how to her, she's like, I don't like narratives where women or victims are forced to forgive. She's like, I don't believe in that. I believe in vent in like revenge and vengeance. And I was like, okay, I'm so into that. Like, go for it. Go off. Birth this a birth this bat baby. Force him to birth them for you. Go for it, mama. You are galvanizing some of my instincts anyway, because I, I did not read anything about this movie. Like I just watched it and I was kind of left with my own feelings. And I think because you went back and you researched a little bit and you got some insight from the director and maybe a little insight from the story itself, it really kind of like fills in some of the blanks because that's what I was getting. I'm like, this is punishment. Like, and I almost, I, you know, I, I haven't read about it, but it almost feels like these women are almost like a sisterhood eternal yeah. to watch over evil and, continuously punish them almost forever until they die. And then they are replaced by another man to be punished. And they're forced to give birth to these monsters and feel the pain of like birth mm-hmm. and what it's like to be a woman like over and over. So we started to get into very strange psychological landscape toward the end. It was like wild. There's so much interesting content there and things that are unclear, but that are mysterious and interesting. But I, the one of the main things that I want to know the answer to and i don't know maybe we can google it is how did the nun who wasn't a nun live in the church and nobody found that out you know like that (laughs) listen that nun we should address her as she should be addressed that's imelda staunton better known as dolores umbridge (laughs) get into that yeah i uh (laughs) totally like when she appeared i was like Oh, I love her. Like, and I don't know, man. And maybe this is just my kind of like anti-religious uh, background. But as soon as I see a nun, I'm like, that's the devil. Like, that's evil. Like, there's all nuns are bad. Like, they're like, there's no way. Like, no nun in a horror movie is like, I actually was a saint the whole time. I'm like, you're gonna you're gonna peel off your granny soon. Oh my god. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I kind of more saw like her presence as I don't even know if she was real. Like, she kind of appears to. Uh, Tomas, like right after the arson of whatever the the shelter he's living in, she kind of appears almost <clears throat> out of the ether. And I saw her character as like she's almost, uh, you know, she's like omnipresent. She's uh, she maybe she's not even like real. And then she has this like fabulous outfit change. But I was like, oh, I knew this was coming because the second she pulled out that gold cigarette holder, I was like, ain't no nun have a gold cigarette holder like that. Honey. <laughs> And the flash, don't forget. Yeah, I think overall, really interesting movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would, would you guys recommend it for our listeners to watch? I'd say a hundred percent, but go in knowing that there's, you know, more questions maybe posed once you get to the end than answers. But I think that was part of the fun of this. Like I used that carrot uh, analogy earlier. Like it just keeps you getting pulled through the movie um, by mystery, kind of unpeeling into another mystery, then with like huge revelations and implications. Um, It was really cool. I thought we were going in for another slow burn horror movie, which again, I like, but definitely surprised. It definitely took a left turn. It went somewhere completely surprising and I did appreciate it. I would definitely recommend this movie. I'm not one for trigger warnings and things like that because I I feel like part of my experience personally when I view media is, you know, if the director meant me to feel 
you know, something that's uncomfortable or whatever, like that's what I want to feel. But I will say like, if this is, if you're going into a movie and you're like, oh, I want a slow burn and you're not expecting it to go full tilt, trigger warning, uh, cosmic horror, psychic, like psychic energies, like just get ready. It's a lot, uh, but I loved it. I thought it was great. Well, agreed. And half of me thinks that you like to get triggered anyway. Like you're like one of those kind of words. Like, you like to get scared. You want to go into the theater and get triggered. You want all your buttons pushed. And that's part of the ride for you. Oh my god, you are not wrong. Get ready for my haunting of history, Mama. <laughs> Ian, thank you for joining us as always. And the movie review was fun. We hope our listeners enjoyed it as well. I think we're going to take a moment and move on to answering some of our listener mail. What do you think, Drac? I think that is a great idea. And we have a lot after the last episode. So let me pull them up. All right. So our first question is from Axel. And Axel wants to know, what was the most painful part of being an outsider? You know, I think I'm going to reveal a little bit about the inner workings here. But I think the most painful part of being an outsider for me was never really feeling like I was part of something. Even when I was accepted in a group, if I if I didn't feel connected to them or I didn't have like kind of shared DNA with them, I was with them, but I was always kind of on the periphery. I was always a little bit shunned. And honestly, I, a person like me really appreciates being accepted and it encourages me and it just makes me feel secure. So without that, I always felt like I was flying alone uh, until I met you and then we started to take over everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I enjoyed being an outsider when I was younger, like through school and things like that, I felt like uh, I like to be an outsider. I mean, of course, I'm sure on some level, I didn't think it was great. I think maybe one of the things it did to me that I had to unlearn was it sort of made me bitter towards people because I'm like, oh, well, why am I an outsider? You know, and uh, who do you think you are? <laughs> so it kind of <laughs> turned into something else. Um, <laughs> I think that's why we're that's why our combination is really good because I kind of softened you a little bit and you hardened me a little bit. I was like, yeah, who the fuck do you think you are? Like, I don't need that kind of you know affirmation from anyone. Well, no, you know, it's weird even to this day, and it's you know, drag artists always have a lot of respect for us, and when we go, you know, we do we share dressing rooms with people, all sorts of performers, bands, uh, you know, even at speaking events or conventions, or and people are always so nice and inviting to us, but I do always get that little tinge when I first walk into a dressing room that I'm like, you know, I, I, I definitely, you, you know, you always see a group of people together, and I'm like, you know bitches bitches <laughs> a little bit a little bit i'm like oh, okay and i'm like wait wait no i don't i, I need to not do that you know <laughs> sure yeah for sure yeah so i don't know if that's the most painful part but it's certainly a byproduct all right our next question is from zaya zaya asked i know how you guys love being in your professional persona at work and enjoy anonymity in your personal life but do you drac and swan ever feel the need to showcase your individual talents I think for this one, I'm very comfortable with what we do. And I love us being together and and all of the things that go with it. As far as the individual talents, I like the opportunity for you to showcase your individual talent, maybe even a little bit more than for myself. Although I would find joy in that. I kind of want you to let the world have it and let them see how talented you are. Oh, you mean in regards to what? In regards to like, well, Could first be of all, anything, you know, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're like, go ahead and stroke my ego. No, but <laughs> I, I think we've talked about it before, but I know that it's something that really sings to your soul too. And it's just singing. Yeah. You know, 
I would love to do that. I think one day we will probably do that. Uh, maybe when we tour together, we'll find a way to work that into our act. You know, I feel like we're so fortunate to have the opportunity to express ourselves in all the ways that we are already. That's something to me that I do anyways, that whether someone's in the room or someone's not, or I was in a stadium or a subway, I would enjoy it because it's just how I get out my emotions and how I express myself. So I would love to do it one day, but it doesn't compete with what we do together. Let's move on to the next question. This one's from Derek. Uh, What did y'all think of (laughs) Mother? Yeah, I think he's speaking about the movie Mother. Okay. We have very different opinions about that. I don't want to do a whole review, but what did you, uh, what did you, what are some of your initial thoughts? So when a movie goes deep on allegory and tells like kind of stories on, on a symbolic level, I'm in. So I was a fan and I enjoyed trying to like figure out all the intended meaning and all the symbolic imagery. I would say I'm absolutely a fan. For me, I usually watch movies for entertainment or to appreciate the aesthetics or the beauty of it. Um, and my life is super I feel like my life is super complicated, very heavy thought wise all day. So when I watch something, I'm looking for a little more entertainment. And that movie is a little too heady for me. It's just too much. Now what if Derek meant the club mother in San Francisco? What did y'all think of Mother the Club? Well y'all thought Mother was cool. Um I like <laughs> I like it, it. It was amazing. Yeah, it was a fun time. Okay, moving on to the next question. This one's from Victoria. I've been dying to know for a long time if you ever thought about doing a UK addition to Dragula or bringing us to America. Hello, Victoria. I'd like to answer that question. Anyone in the world can audition for the show. So we don't need to do a UK edition because we can already bring UK monsters here. Um, we've said that a lot of times. Maybe for some reason people just don't know that. Um, but yeah, it's the world's next drag super monster. It might be that we haven't had tons of people from different countries on the show and part of that is because they don't think they can get on so they don't audition but we came very close last year to casting a few uk monsters and i think probably this year we will very good i think it might be that thing where we were looking to put all kinds of drag artists on Dragula even as early as the first season but because people have been programmed to believe that maybe drag kings or female presenting artists don't have a space on Dragula or a competition show. It's the same thing with people in other countries. They think that it might be limited to US only, which is not the case. We're open to everyone and everything and all things in between worldwide. I do think that uh, if I if we were going to do a spinoff in a specific area, I think the UK would be it because there are so many incredibly talented monsters. I mean, in Europe in general, honestly, but the UK specifically, there is a huge pool to choose from or cesspool to choose from i should say (laughs) oh i like that one all right i think that's all the time we have for today remember if you want to ask us about anything you've heard here on the podcast or have questions about any of the projects we're working on please email us at creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com we're going to take one final break and when we come back we'll be delving right into this episode's haunting of history Welcome back, and welcome to the Boulet Brothers' Creatures of the Night, Haunting of History. For this section of the show, we like to dig up a real-life, documented, supernatural happening and give listeners an abridged history of the terrifying event. 
we encourage you to turn off the lights, find a dark, quiet place to relax in, and prepare for a journey into the unknown. In the winter of 1953, a string of gruesome and terrifying animal deaths sent a small town in North Carolina into a state of panic. Over the course of a month, residents of Bladenboro, North Carolina were gripped with fear as a creature stalked and killed their pets and livestock. The strange and grisly details of these deaths and the mystery surrounding the identity of the monster have made the vampire beast of Bladenboro a nightmarish legend. Prior to the winter of 1953, the city of Bladenboro, a small North Carolina farming town, had become known for its tight-knit community with a focus on agricultural exports. By January 1954, Bladenboro would be better known by the horrors of the vampire beast and the national hunt to kill the monster that ensued. On the night of December 29, 1953, multiple witnesses reported hearing dogs howling and whimpering in the town of Clarkton, North Carolina, eight miles from Bladenboro. Witnesses also reported what would later become known as the first descriptions of the monster that would wreak havoc on the settlement. Described as being over five feet long, with dark, bushy fur, piercing yellow eyes, a feline face, and the huge body of a bear, most people who heard of the beast wrote it off as a shared vision of the dark, until the creature would begin to draw blood. On New Year's Eve, just two days after the first reported sightings, Bladenboro Police Chief Roy Forez was called to the farm of Woody Storm in a panic. Two of Storm's prized hunting dogs had been viciously killed, their heads ripped from their bodies, with the lower jaws removed from their skulls and blood completely drained from their corpses. To make the scene even more ghoulish, whatever had killed the animals had crushed what remained of their skulls, leaving behind giant, bloody paw prints retreating into the nearby forest. Over the course of the next five days, the creature, now referred to as the Vampire Beast of Bladenboro, would attack and kill five more dogs in the same brutal manner, each time leaving behind a scene of vampiric carnage. The people of Bladenboro were terrified. Women and children stayed locked inside their homes, and men dared not walk outside without protection from the dark. Hunters began to gather in the parish in hopes of putting down the beast before it struck again. However, the next person to encounter the monster would provide the most chilling insight into the predator stalking Bladenboro. On January 5th, Mrs. C.E. Kinslaw, the wife of a farmer in Bladenboro, went to check on the family dogs after hearing their whimpers. Kinslaw brought a pistol with her in the hopes that she would be able to scare off whatever was causing the dogs to become so upset. According to various reports from local news, what Mrs. Kinslaw saw next she could not have prepared herself for. Standing over an enclosure for the pet rabbit that the Kinslaws had kept for their daughter was the dark, hulking figure of what could only be described as a nightmare. The beast, standing on its hind legs, huge and man-like, gripped the rabbit in one of its claws and pulled its body away from its head with a dripping maw of razor-sharp teeth. Mrs. Kinslaw fired a shot into the dark, missing the beast as it dropped down onto all fours, crushing the rabbit's skull underfoot before bounding towards Mrs. Kinslaw. Recounting the story to authorities, Mrs. Kinslaw fired her pistol again at the beast, causing it to recoil and shriek in pain before bounding into the darkness of the nearby trees. Others were quoted as hearing the sound of the beast's pained howling from around the Kinslaw's farm. It was like nothing from this world. The sounds were that of a man screaming in pain, with the roar of a bear and the howl of a wolf. 
After this encounter, Police Chief Roy Forez attempted to hunt the beast down himself, but when he put his dogs on the trail, they would not follow the tracks of the creature, shaking in fear and refusing to move into the darkness beyond the farm. On January 7th, after another dog and several goats were slaughtered on a nearby farm, Mayor Woodrow Fussell called a national hunt for the beast, attracting over 1,000 hunters to the small town, as well as national news attention. However, when the town became so overrun with hunters attempting to claim the reward for the head of the beast, Mayor Fussell suddenly and unexpectedly called the hunt off. A local farmer named Luther Davis captured a small bobcat and claimed that he had seen with his own eyes that this was the beast of Bladenborough. While many of the residents of Bladenborough questioned if the bobcat was too small to have killed the animals, Mayor Fussell sent the remaining hunters away and announced that the vampire beast of Bladenborough had been slain. While the animal killing stopped after this declaration and the town of Bladenborough was able to settle back into some sort of normalcy, speculation from skeptical residents fueled a lingering fear that the beast not only remained alive, but was something far larger, more sinister, and perhaps human-like. Residents were so shaken by the horrifying events that people stayed inside after dark long after the beast was supposedly killed. Ev Butler, a young Bladenborough resident, recalled, Nighttime was the feared time around these parts. As the sun set, everyone went indoors. Going outside meant death was lurking in the dark. Things remained calm, with no further reported sightings or strange animal deaths for over four decades. The people of Bladenborough returned to their lives and even created Beast Fest, an annual celebration of the legend that had brought national attention to their small town. This jovial reminder was simply a memory until 2007, when a farmer in a nearby town reported that 60 of his goats were found torn to shreds, their heads crushed by something large and powerful, and their bodies exsanguinated. Authorities were puzzled, but refused to investigate for fear of reviving the old legend. Had the vampire beast of Bladenborough returned? Or could it have never left, waiting in the darkness of the woods until its legend and its thirst for blood had grown too large to bear? That's all the time we have for this episode. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you have questions for us about projects we are working on or anything we've discussed on this episode, please email us at creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com. Remember to watch the Boulet Brothers Dragula streaming now on Netflix in the US, Out TV in Canada, Amazon Prime in the UK and Australia, and TVNZ in New Zealand. Bye, uglies. Creatures of the Night is hosted and produced by Drac Morda and Swanthula Boulay, featuring co-host Ian DeVogler. Produced by Natasha Pacetta, edited and mixed by Ernesto Hortada, with music by Neuron Spectre.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.